be too busy doing me, so I hope you're doing you and I be doing my thing. This is Verbal Intercourse. Welcome back, world, to the Verbal Intercourse Podcast. Got your host, Nick Walker, back with you today. Shout out to all the supporters. Shout out to all the listeners. Shout out to everybody that's been buying merch. We are very thankful to have y'all supporting the Verbal Intercourse Podcast. Subscribe to us on Apple, Spotify, or SoundCloud. And we're going to keep this thing rolling. So, Today, we got a special guest, Mr. Jerron Brown, licensed clinical social worker, and he's with us today to talk to us about mental health, and he's been doing a great job in the community, providing mental health to the black, well, all people, but advocacy to the black people, especially on social media, and it's been really dope seeing how he's been going about that, so shout out to you, and how you doing today? Hey, what's good, bro? Hey, I'm appreciate you, man, for having me on your podcast today. I've been I've been following you, man. I've been following your work. Um, I see you got that merchandise out there, so I'm definitely gonna get some. <laughs> I gotta wear, it, man. I'm gonna promote it for you, bro. You're doing good things, man. I appreciate you for having me on here today to talk about mental health, something that I love dearly, man. I know how you mentioned <laughs> having all people, but specifically our people, bro, black people, because you know we don't talk about it enough in our community, bro. So. Looking forward to this discussion today, man. For sure, for sure, man. So, you know, we're going to get right into it. Before we get into it, though, I'm going to just, I'm not going to say all the statistics, but I'm going to just say a few statistics that I found on therapyforblackmen.org. So, you know, if you ever need any resources, everybody that's following, listen to, uh, I mean, not subscribe, but type in therapyforblackmen.org and go to their website, check it out. So, First statistic, African-Americans, 20% likely to have psychological distress than whites are. So, and then also this next statistic, among men 18 to 44 who have had daily feelings of anxiety or depression. These black, black and brown men are less likely to search out mental health treatment or to be able to obtain mental health treatment. So those are just statistics. Um, you know, me personally, I have dealt with anxiety and depression, um, and it's just a constant battle. It's always going to be there, you know, with the all the external factors of the world and also your internal feelings in the world. So it's, it's going to always be a constant battle. But, you know, I have went to therapy and I'm an advocate for people to go to therapy. I, I when people tell me that they go to they go to therapy or. They know that I've went and they say, well, how, how, how was therapy? I'm always a person that's saying, well, you should go, you know. So um, I'm going to start off by asking you a few questions. Um, first off, tell me specifically what you do as far as therapy-wise or mental health-wise. Okay. So as you stated earlier, you know, I'm a licensed clinical social worker. So um, I'm a clinical therapist, basically. And so what I can do and what I do is um, I have 
the privilege of being able to diagnose individuals with mental health related issues, but I can not only diagnose them, I can actually treat those individuals too. And so currently I work for the federal government, uh, working for the Department of Veteran Affairs, working with our American military veterans, but specifically veterans that have issues with substance abuse. But you know, a lot of times they have those issues with substance abuse, but they also have mental health related issues too. So they kind of go hand in hand with each other. Okay. So, so we, you, you will probably work with like a lot of PTSD, anxiety, stuff like that, right? Yes. I've seen PTSD. I haven't seen anxiety. Um, I've seen depression, schizophrenia, mm-hmm. and then you combine some of those uh, substance abuse disorders, such as you, know, you have veterans that have issues with alcoholism, um, cocaine, you know, marijuana, all those different things. So all of them combined. Yeah, I see a whole lot, bro. Yeah, that's that's real. That's real. So at what point in your life did you realize that the importance of mental health and what made you want to pursue a career in the field? Okay, so, man, it's kind of crazy. So, you know, in the African-American community, you know, growing up, we all had those uncles or, or aunties. You know, we can call them June bugs or somebody like that, that, you know, they act different. You know, when I was like five, six years old. I would see some of my uncles and stuff and they would act, you know, they just want to act like everybody else. And so for a five or six year old at that time, I would ask my grandma and stuff like, you know, um, well, what's going on with so-and-so or, or why are they acting like that? And they're like, well, you know, uh, that's just a devil or something like that. And that, you know, even at seven to eight, you know, something that I write about what they're doing, what's going on with them, but you exactly really don't know what's going on with them. And so it wasn't until I started going to school, like grade school and stuff, um, that I started learning more about mental health, but I really didn't get into it until I, I went to college and I got, got into a psychology class. And that's when I truly learned about mental health. But it's crazy, bro. When it came to me even being in the mental health field, I didn't see myself being in mental health. You know how some people say, oh, this, this type of profession chose me. I mean, I didn't choose it. And honestly, you know, just being transparent, that's what it was with me, bro. Um, I remember when I... I wanted to go to school to be an anesthesiologist. You know, that's what my grandfather wanted me to do. That's not what I wanted to do, but that's what he wanted me to do. And so, you know, trying to keep up with the family values and not trying to disappoint, uh, you know, your grandparents and stuff like that. I was like, I'm going to go and try to go to school and do this anesthesiologist thing. But that wasn't what I wanted to do. So I had a conversation with him one day. He was like, Drun, you got to do what's best for you. You know, I'm going to be proud of you regardless of whatever you decide to do. And so I was like, okay, that's all I needed. That was that push I needed to kind of move forward with my life. And so I started um, started my career in psychology at, at the University of Southern Mississippi, where I majored in psychology. So I graduated from USM. I didn't have no further plans, bro. I was like, man, I done got my degree. Now what? People had always told me, you know, you got a degree in psychology. You're not going to be able to do too much with it unless you go back to school and get your master's or get your doctorate, really. So I was like, oh, yeah, whatever y'all tell me, I don't believe it. So I graduated and I really didn't have more plans, bro. And so some told me to kind of um, start looking for an internship. So I was still down in Hattiesburg. I had like five, six, seven months left. I was just down there on my lease. I had graduated and everything. So I got to looking for an internship online. And I came across a place called Mississippi Children Home Services. Mm. So I called those people and I was like, hey. I'm calling to try to do an internship. Um, y'all got anything available? 
And the lady actually thought that I was a, a student still. And she was like, well, yeah, you know, you can come on in. I, I'll let you intern here. So that Monday I went there and I started intern and I would take like this paper home every single day and have her sign off on my hours and bring the paper back home to put it in my closet and never look at the paper again. So during that internship, that's that's when it happened for me, bro. I had the opportunity to work with a lot of different social workers. But there was one particular child that I had the chance to work with. He was about four years old at that time. It was a black boy. And he had just came to the shelter um, from living with his grandparents. So he had just came to the shelter from CPS custody. And so it was an emergency shelter. So the kids would come there and they would stay for about two weeks until they found them permanent housing. And so I got to work with that kid. We would play basketball. We would make puzzles. We would do all that type of stuff. And so um, the boy stayed there about two weeks and then he left. And so I was like, dang, man, you know, I enjoy working with that kid. I hope everything works out for, with him. So I remember telling one of the social workers that I was like, you know what? I think I like this, this social work thing. I think I'm going to go back to school and get my master's in social work. She was like, you're not going back to school to get no master's in social work. I was like, I am. <laughs> she was like, I can see you doing something like sales, like a car salesman or you know, something in sales. I was like, nah, I'm going to go back to school and get my master's in social work. So this was 2014. So that August of 2015, I enrolled at Jackson State University, you know, the I love, yeah. where I started my career to try to get my master's in social work. So it was a two year program. I started in August of 2015 and I graduated May of 2017. So I did the two year, did well, had a 4.0 GPA. And so one of the hardest things about getting a degree in social work, you got to try to find a job. And if you don't have your master's, or you don't have your license, it's going to be hard for you to get a good job. So I always told myself, I was like, no, I don't want to start off working at CPS. Oh, no offense about anybody working at CPS, but I didn't want that for me. Yeah. And so I graduated um, that May of 2017 and I found me a job like right out of grad school. I was going to be working at a at a place called Catholic Charities. I was going to be a foster care therapist. So the lady, she hired me straight out of grad school. I didn't have my license or nothing, man. And so I started working there in June of 2017. I would come every single day and I would study for my exam. She would let me sit in my office. I would study Monday through Friday, eight o'clock to five for my master's level exam. So July the 31st, I went and took that exam. Never told anybody I was going to take it. I didn't tell my boss. Only people knew I was going to take my exam was my mom and my grandma. Because, you know, I didn't want to tell a whole lot of people because if I didn't pass, you know, you always deal with that. Dang, you know, they don't think I'm a failure now. Yeah. So I told I was going to I told my boss I was going to come in at Monday morning, probably probably about around 1130 ish, 12 o'clock because my test was at like eight o'clock that morning. So went, took the test. And to my surprise, I passed it on the first attempt. And so as soon as I left out the test, you had to leave your car and you, you had to leave your phone in the car. And so I looked at my phone and I had about 10 calls It was from my boss. So, you know, I'm thinking she's going to get ready to fire me or something. So I call her <laughs> back and she's like, hey, Jerome, where you at? You're supposed to get your first client today. And I was like, uh, I'm headed to the office now. So I got back to the office. I walked up the stairs into the conference room. And that's my first client was sitting in there. And that first client just happened to be that same little black boy that, you know, I told you I met back in 2013, 14. Yeah. And so he was my first client as a therapist. So that's how I knew that I was in the right field of social work, bro. They're right there. Wow. Wow. That's like 
that's full circle, like divine intervention type stuff right there, real talk. Cause, cause like that, that's that's an amazing story, dog. Like, cause, cause you're right. You know, your 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 family puts pressure on you to do certain certain fields. You know, we grew up in a society where, you know, the black family they they usually like okay, be a doctor or a lawyer, you know, and 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 you know you you went specifically after. Well, you went after something that kind of came to you, which is, which is special because a lot of people don't have that story, and you kind of deviated from the norm. Because I feel like you you made your transition to doing what you want faster than a lot of people did. A lot of people kind of just went years and years and years of trying to make their parents specifically happy. When you know, for the most part, a lot of parents would be fine if their if their kids are happy. So. So that's that's what's up, dog. That's a that too. amazing story. So yeah, for sure. So have you ever personally had to seek out like mental health? Like have you ever had to go? Yeah, man, I actually have. And that's something that I'm I'm proud to actually say because that's something that we don't want to sell a lot of in our community. Um, but you know, last yeah. year, we all know we've been dealing with the pandemic, coronavirus pandemic. And so um that was best time to go. And so I was dealing with some other stuff too, um, personally, um, with some interpersonal relationships and things like that. And so I decided out of nowhere, I was like, you know what, how am I going to always talk about therapy or preach to tell people to go to therapy, but I've never went to therapy myself. And so when I was getting my clinical license, cause that was a two year process, I had to sit it under a supervisor. I got to talking to her about it. And I was like, you know what, I think I'm gonna go to therapy. I was like, you know, I can't, be in this field and and try to encourage people to get therapy, especially our people, black people. And I haven't did it myself. You know, I feel like a hypocrite. And so last May of 2020, I started therapy, bro. And I can honestly say it's probably one of the best things. And this is coming from a therapist. It's probably one of the best things I ever could have did because you get to go to therapy, you get to sit there. But the biggest thing is you you have somebody to listen to you that's going to be non-judgmental. And, you know, that's something we deal with. You know, we don't want people to know some of the things we've gone through. We don't want our friends to know. We don't want our family to know. But having somebody there that's a, that's a complete stranger that don't know you like that, you know, you feel like you can open up to them. And so I was able to open up. You know, we had some great sessions. I enjoyed it, man. I would, I would tell anybody, if you've ever thought about therapy, don't think about it. Try it out because I promise you it can be some of the best times of your life. If you give it your all. Yeah, that's that's definitely real. And I always find it interesting when when people that practice in your field actually go to therapy, because, you know, a lot a lot of the people uh, I feel like a, a ignorant statement that people make is that, well, why would you go to therapy? You a therapist. You could just practice what you know already. But but it's it. And I've seen that on Twitter, which is crazy. But but it's definitely from my experience, it's definitely exactly what you said is non-judgmental, and you can literally just talk and and that therapist just listens and and tries to understand and provide great treatment interventions to you and i feel like it was beneficial for me as well i i went when i was down there in hattiesburg because because um i definitely inter interpersonal relationships difficulty um coping with um the job difficulty co coping with social interactions um during that time so that's why I went and it was definitely beneficial. And some of the things that I learned, I still practice to this day. So, so um, 
I definitely feel you there. So, and that's going to transition me to my next question. Um, we're going to go back to that statistic that I brought up at first. So I'm going to read it out and I want to see how you kind of feel about it. So among black and Hispanic men ages 18 through 44 who have daily feelings of depression and anxiety, only 26.4% seek mental health treatment. Do you think this alarming statistic is based on a lack of self-mental awareness or or how we was raised to be kind of emotionless as a culture, as a black male culture? Okay. And first, I just want to say, man, I'm proud of you, bro, about you going to therapy because, you know, that's something that we don't, as black men, you know, that's something we don't do. So the fact that you actually came yeah. out and said you went there and I told you the same thing, that shows progress, man. So as far as your question go, and I'm thinking about this question, um, this is a good question, Nick. And I think it's actually both, bro. I think both of them play a role in why we as African-American men or people of color um, don't seek out the mental health treatment. And I say both because, as we all know, um, in our African-American communities, as black men growing up as boys, you know, we taught to be we got to seem as if we're tough. I'm a health four nephews right now. They're all small, like one, two, three, four years of age. And I just watch how my sisters, um, how they actually raise them. And, you know, if one fall and hurt themselves, you know, you don't want them to fall and hurt themselves and they start crying. You have to be tough or, you know, boys don't cry or boys can't show any signs of weakness. So if you cry as a, as a boy growing up, you know, that's, that's a sign of weakness. And so we don't want to show weakness. And so, you got to be strong and tough. So even if you feel hurt or you feel like you want to cry, you got to hold those things in because if somebody sees you cry and you're a little boy, you know, they're going to call you a sissy or something like that. And so as we start to grow up, we start to internalize the whole things. We start to internalize our feelings and we start internalizing those things that we want to talk about. But we don't know how to talk about it because we've been taught so long to kind of keep those things inside. And so as we start to grow up as, as boys and we become um, young men into adulthood, a lot of young men into adulthood, what you start seeing is they're emotionless. Then you get to talking to them. You start to realize that, hey, I'm, a, I'm emotionless because, you know, when I was growing up, I was never expressed to never taught to express my emotions or I can never cry. Or, you know, I always had to to be the tough person. You know, um, I had to play the football or I had to play the basketball or, you know, I had to play the baseball or stuff, stuff like this. You know, um, some guys even say like, you know, that those things, I didn't like those things. You know, I wanted to do things on the computer or I wanted to read books or I wanted to um, get in the kitchen and cook. But seeing as those things weren't considered things boys do as growing up. You know, I had to kind of internalize those things that I wanted to do and do what other people wanted me to do. So I was taught to hold my emotions in. So as you get older and you start dealing with people that have mental health related issues. In a black community, let's be real, man, um, having a mental health related issue for some people that are that don't understand or don't have the awareness, they consider it to be a weakness. And so as a black man, I'm not going to go tell um my coworkers, I'm not going to go tell my friends like, hey, you know, I suffer with depression or I suffer with anxiety or I suffer with PTSD, because if I tell them that they may look at me as being weak. Now, they now our generation may not do that because we've come so far along 
But we still have that mindset that, hey, even if, if I tell these people this, they're going to look at me as being weak. And so, you know, I even see it with the veteran population. So I work with veterans. So, you know, a lot of them have severe PTSD. But you have veterans that have come home that won't even go and get help for PTSD because they don't want people to think that it's something wrong with me. Or, you know, I've been taught to be so emotionally strong in the military because, you know, in the military, they teach those guys to be very strong, you know, show no fear. So I'm not going to come home and go to the hospital and tell them I got issues with PTSD because I'm going to be looked at as being weak. And so I think all those things play a factor. And then we can't forget about the other factor, um, the discrimination piece. So, you know, I think I listened to one of your podcasts, um, the nursing podcast, where you all were talking about um, African-Americans and how they kind of discriminated against in the healthcare field. It's the same in the mental health field as well. Um, why would I go and talk to a therapist? Because a lot of times you think of somebody that's a therapist, you think of somebody that's white, you know, a, a white woman or a white man. Why would I go and talk to somebody that doesn't look like me and share with them what's going on with me when I've already been discriminated against so much for other things? So I'm not going to give them any other reasons to discriminate against me by telling them, hey, I'm depressed. Hey, I think something's going on with me. I'm just going to keep that to myself so I don't have to deal with any more discrimination that I'm already dealing with. So I think all those factors play a big role into why we as African-American men don't seek the treatment as often as we should. Yeah. Hey, hey, that's real right there. I didn't even, I didn't even think about the discrimination factor, but yeah, like that's, that's definitely deep. I, I, I mean, I hope everybody that's listening to the podcast. I feel like everyone at this point due to like COVID-19 and the last, and the last year, the pandemic and, how much despair and, and hurt and everything and different emotions that people had in 2020. And even now, I feel like everyone should maybe think about going to see somebody or going to talk to somebody because, because it's, it's a lot to deal with. I mean, yeah. <laughs> it's a, it's a right. whole lot to deal with. So, so we're going to switch, we're going to switch lanes for a little bit. Um, this next question is about, um the lack of black fatherhood which is kind of like a, a myth but it is there we can't negate the fact that black the the black father is um sometimes missing in the black community um and so so that's gonna lead me to my question the lack of black fatherhood in the black community is a myth based in racism and skewed statistics because it's a lot of articles that that basically show the statistics being skewed to kind of push out a narrative that the black man cannot lead the black family. So do you think, do you believe the root of the issues that some black males face are a result of an inactive father? And do you believe that it carries over to um, our relationships and companionship? Okay. So when I was looking at this question and thinking about it, uh, fatherhood and lack of fatherhood, it's a good question because for one, <laughs> you know, I'm a, I'm a living person that didn't have a true father figure in my life where it comes from my biological father. He wasn't in my life. Uh-huh. And so in a sense, I believe that the lack of male not being in a person's life when it comes to like father and stuff can play a major role. It can play a major role, but I'm going to take a different approach to it because then again, I also think it's one of those things we can't use as a crutch forever. And I say that because, you know, there are many men that never have had a father figure in their life uh, that turned out all right. Um, me personally, like I said, I didn't have my my biological father in my life. I had my grandfather 
And I thank God for him because he taught me the way of the world and how to be a man. But I really, truly feel like even if I didn't have my, my grandfather in my life, um, I still feel like I would have been all right. And I say that because I believe that in life we have different type of men or different type of guys. So you have some men that use that as a constraint. They kind of limit them or I can't go no further or I can't be no better man because I didn't have a man in my life or my dad wasn't there to try to teach me. And so they use that excuse so much that it become repetitive. And so, you know, you start talking to them, you know, the first thing they're going to say is, man, I can't get a better job because I didn't have a dad to teach me how to get a job or I can't treat her better, you know, because I didn't have a dad to teach me how to be a better boyfriend or a better husband or, or a better spouse. Or, you know, I can't, you know, I can't stop cheating on her because, you know, I never, that's all I saw growing up. But then on the other spectrum, you have the person that despite all those difficulties that they've gone through, despite all those issues that they may have incurred, they still use that as motivation. And so I think that that's what separates. And I'm just going to be real with you. Man. I think that's what separates the man from the boys, you know, because are you going to continue to use it as an excuse to hold you back forever? Or are you going to continue to persevere despite of what you've gone through? And so with me growing up, I guess I think the last time I saw my dad, I was 12 or 13 years old, man. And I'm, uh, I'm, I'm in the 30 now. So I'm like, yeah, I'm damn in the 30 now. So last time I saw him, I was 12. And so, man, that's a long time ago. And so at, at the early age of 12, I could have made the decision like, you know what? I, should not, I, don't, know, I don't know my dad like that. I ain't talked to him in forever. You know what? I think I'm just going to, I'm going to mail it in, man. You know? Yeah. You no, know, I ain't going to school no more. I'm just going to kind of do whatever I want to do. But I knew in spite of all that, there was something I still wanted to accomplish because although I didn't have my dad in my life, I got the chance to do something different. So I didn't have mine in my life. So why not me be, as I grow older and get a family one day and get married, I can be the person to be in my kid's life. So, you know, despite of him not being in mine, I can use it as their motivation to be in my kid's life and be a great father. And so, like I told you, I thank my grandfather for teaching me how to be a man and stuff. But as men, I feel like a lot of times we still have to step up to the bat and take a swing in life and do things differently than we may have had it. And when it comes to companionship and relationships, um, I feel like it can play a factor. But as I said before, not having a father never stopped me from not knowing how to love and care. Um, you know, I've had great women in my life, such as my grandmother, uh, my mom, my sisters. Like, you know, they taught me how to love. Um, and that same energy that they gave me with a companion, you know, I'm going to make sure I get that same love to them. And so despite not having that real father figure in my life when it comes to my dad, you know, I still learn how to love. I still learn how to be successful. So as you can see, you know, I didn't use it as a crush to continue to hold me back. You know, I could have sat there, sat still, and I couldn't have been nothing. But despite all the odds that were stacked against me, being a black man, we already know that's an odd out here. Mm-hmm. Um, not having a father figure in my life, that could be an odd. You know, all these things, you know, already as young black boys, you know, they already looking at his ass. Hey, they're not going to be successful. Um, they're going to end up either dead or in jail. All those obstacles and statistics stacked against me, I still persevere. And so, you know, that's how I feel like, you know, not having that lack of a father figure. It can affect you if you let it affect you, but it also can actually motivate you. And that's what I allowed it to do for me. Man, that's that's real, man. That, and that's and that's the approach that I feel like a lot of black men need to need to take 
especially like well how, how the statistics show they don't really account for the fathers that's outside the home so you have a lot of black fathers that's there but they don't live with their children which would make yeah. them a single parent home which that skews the whole research and a lot of people don't know that when they show this research about black male fathers being absent so but definitely definitely i think the main thing is like you said that you can't you can't let that stop you from from being a, a positive citizen or have a positive outlook on life and and you did what you had to do i mean but it also helped like you said that you had a grandfather and you had and you had a, a great social support and great family structure to kind of cultivate you into being the man that you are so so this is going to lead me to my next question which is also uh, we we kind of going back when you kind of said that you seeked out therapy when during COVID nineteen and during um, I would say during COVID nineteen in twenty twenty I feel like a lot of people was at home a lot and and it was like black people were getting murdered like like back to back to back and it was being shown on every news station every social mm -hmm. media outlet and it to me it just it, it just became kind of traumatizing, but it's but still I was kind of numb to it at the same time. It's like it happens so often to to black men and women that we're kind of numb to it, but traumatized by it at the same time. Like I I know when a cop when a cop is behind me, my heart starts racing. Or when a yeah, when a cop, same. When, right when a cop hits a U-turn and he could be cutting his lights on and speed right by me but that that instant i'm just thinking like man like this is crazy that we we all <laughs> feel that same feeling when we see a police car or whatever and then not to mention you know i'm i'm from jackson and you know i live back in the metro area and all the black on black crime that's been going on in our area area it just like it may it may it, it makes me feel like at times like the black life is kind of worthless you see what i'm saying i feel the same i feel the same way you feel about that I definitely because uh you know that being like numb to it like numb to that pain it's kind of like you know and it's sad to say it bro because i mean at the end of the day you don't want to be like that um but it's like they killed another black man today or they killed another black woman today again and it's like you know okay so we know the news outlets or social media twitter and stuff like this instagram all those sites they're going to talk about it for a little bit of time. Um, and then it's like right back to the same thing. Oh, same old. Two months pass later and somebody else died. And now oh, we're going to talk about it for a couple months. And now it's back to the same thing. And so, you know, I'm kind of like, you know, at one at what point does enough become enough? And I don't want to be numb to what's going on. I don't want to be a numb to the pain. But like you said, you know, we live here in Jackson, Mississippi, you know, um, and we see crime every single day, you know, our black brothers and black sisters being killed at the hands of our own people. Mm -hmm. um, and it's like, man, sad to say, but, I, you know, I got friends. They say it was just another day in Jackson, Mississippi. And for us to even have to say a comment like that and we know it's true and real. It's sad, man. It's sad. Yeah, man. It's it's definitely sad. But like, man, we I'm definitely numb to it because it's just like, you know, when when I see people, I, I just be like, man, you know, maybe they was into something doing the wrong thing, or and and all the time that ain't the case, you know. It's not. 
Yeah, you could have you could have been in a bar and bumped into somebody and walk out in the parking lot and get shot. You know what I'm saying? For no, for just bumping into somebody or stepping on shoes or whatever. So you know, all of that it kind of it kind of gave me a little anxiety or whatever. And you kind of talked about it that you that you went to therapy during that time. So could you talk a little bit about some good coping mechanisms that like uh, someone could practice? to kind of get them away from that space yeah definitely can talk about that make me make one last point about that uh you know the black on black crime and, and just us losing our life to public brutality and stuff like that something that i've actually started to realize too is that you know a lot of times when and it goes back to what we're talking about we're talking about mental health especially in the black community um, a lot of times those individuals that uh you know end up being doing the killing and stuff or they just kind of snap out find out that they've actually been dealing with mental health on their own and they didn't have the necessary resources that they needed to try to get the help they needed or the type of stuff that they could have actually been successful with because for one, they never reached out to nobody and they never had the proper coping mechanisms or they, you know, they just never had anybody to talk to. And so I think all that stuff kind of go hand in hand. Um, but you mentioned the pandemic and how it's, been so tough on us especially our african-american population because we've been dying at alarming rates um, but i'm gonna tell you something else too and it kind of goes hand in hand with these coping mechanisms now we're dealing with the pandemic of covid but we've also been dealing with a pandemic for years man um being black um dying at the hands of police brutality um dying at the hands of other black people um our black brothers and black sisters being killed innocently when they've done anything this is another pandemic and so it kind of goes hand in hand with the COVID pandemic because we've been living in a pandemic for years and years. I mean, it just continues to get worse and worse. So as a therapist and seeing all this stuff, man, each and every single day and talking to people, um, meeting with people and just hearing their different stories, man, I had to find me some coping mechanisms that I could use to be successful because if I didn't, I won't be in this field long. Hmm. So first thing I can say I did is, you know, I've turned to to music and I love music, but I've turned to it a lot more. I mean, I used to be a music person where I kind of listen to songs here and there, um, but I've turned to, to it a whole lot more. I mean, I, you mentioned Big Crit earlier. when We was talking like in a conversation offline and I like Big Crit, you know, um, Drake, you know, Cole, people like that. But I love those type of artists, but I'm also an old school R&B type of person, bro. So it ain't nothing for me to turn on some Luther Vandross, um, some Anita hey. Baker. Yeah. Some Patty LaBelle, Aretha Franklin. I mean, those are my those are my people. And so, you know, a lot of people they go to the gym and you know they turn on some high intensity type of workout song or something to try to get them through the workout. Mm. And I laugh about it because you can find me in the gym listening to you know Luther Vandross, Never Too Much, mm. or you know <laughs> Patty LaBelle, you know Somebody Loves You, you know those type of songs. So that type, those type of songs back in the day they had some type of meaning to them and when you listen to them they gave you a, a state of peace like right. i had a peace of mind you know like the, the melodies you know the different type of rhythmic stuff that you were hearing the songs it gave me a peace of mind so i know when i listen to the old songs i can kind of escape with what's going on in the world right now and i can kind of get in my own type of head and i feel peace so i'm gonna say music first of all I'm going to throw another one out there that a lot of us use. I think a lot of people do it. It's exercising. You know, right. exercising is extremely important. Right. I used <laughs> I used to be a a evening workout type of person. 
you know, I would go out there, I got off of work. Mm-hmm. But then I started thinking about it, bro. And I was like, you know what? I feel like this is defeating the purpose for me because here I am, especially with the pandemic. Because the pandemic's still going on. It hasn't gone anywhere. Really? You know, I go to the gym. You got 100 people in the gym after work and you all working out together. And so I said, I'm going to start going to the gym in the morning. So I get up around like 5 o'clock a.m. in the morning where a lot of people still sleeping. I can go to the gym and it may be like the same seven, eight, ten people in there every time I go at five in the morning. And, you know, I'm in the gym, everybody else sleeping. And so at that present time, I know the world is kind of stopped. You know, a lot of people sleep. Uh, um, There's not a whole lot going on. So it allows me to kind of escape reality for a little bit of time and kind of just focus in on the here and now what's going on with me. And so that exercise is a big thing for me, too. Um, a couple other things that I do, meditation and so and yoga. And I'm I'm so glad to see more black people are taking a bigger interest in doing things like yoga or meditation. Because I remember years ago, um, that wasn't that wasn't something that we did a whole lot of. And I mean like years ago. But I know the millennial population for sure, we come a long way, you know, we into meditation, are uh, we into relaxation, breathing techniques. Um, all those things are extremely important. Another thing that I do is I'm gonna be real with you, man. I don't watch the news a whole yeah. lot. Yeah, I don't watch it at all, to be honest. But that's okay, because now the day and era that we're in, I don't have to watch the news. Everything comes to your phone anyway. Really? So you know, I have <laughs> I had a phone app. So I have the phone apps on my phone. So hey, if anything's going on, I get the notification on my phone. I can look at it. I don't have to sit down. And look at the news because we already know it's going to be on there. The same old stuff. Somebody didn't die. One of our black brothers, black sisters didn't die. Um, some other stuff going on with the government. Just It's just a whole bunch of repetitive stuff. And so I don't even let that stuff bother me because I don't watch it. So I call that unplugging. And I also I unplug from social media sometimes, too. Um, you know, <laughs> Twitter, one of my favorite social media sites. But I have to unplug from that sometimes, too. Or <laughs> yeah. Can't be afraid to unfollow somebody either if, if, you know, they're giving you bad energy or, you know, somebody just always negative. You know, they're always, you know, they call them a negative Nancy. They're always negative. You know, they don't never have anything positive to say. You know, it's nothing personal, man. But I'm going to have to unfollow you. If I'm just not, I'm not agreeing with what you're talking about, I'm not afraid to do that either. And one of the last things I do is getting out. And so it's nothing for me to go to like the reservoir or to a lake and just kind of sit out there. And just kind of get, you know, get that nature and get into the outdoors because I'm a big outdoor person. So there's nothing for me to sit down and kind of just sit there for hours, man, and just kind of lose, lose track, lose thought and just kind of look at the lake, go by while the sun beaming down. All those things are things that I do to try to continue to be intentional about my mental health, because if I'm not intentional about my mental health, how am I going to help somebody else? Like the old saying go, you know, you can't pour from an empty cup. So. If I'm going to pour into somebody else's cup, I got to make sure my cup is full too, so I can help that individual out. So those are some things I do. Man, you, you, hey, you, you definitely hit some of the ones that I actually partake in too, especially like the exercising, um, listening to music. Um, I collect vinyls, so I listen to a wide variety of music and stuff like that. Um, one thing that that I really, really started doing in 2020 was podcasting. So that helped me out a yeah. lot. Create creating things helped me out a lot. Um, I would say um, at times 
especially during a pandemic, very minimal alcohol. Like yeah. even now, very minimal alcohol. That's what I that's what I try to do. And and it helps out a lot, it helps you sleep better, stuff like that. And and I would say a good thing to do is try to get more vegetables and fruits into into your diet, because that kind of helped with my mental clarity as well. So all of those things you said, like I, I try to I try to partake in those too. The yoga is a little tough for me. I tried it to start it off, but I got to work on my flexibility a little bit more before I really, really just get deep off into the yoga. But hey, that's fine though, bro. Cause <laughs> that's fine. Everybody don't, and that's the thing about it too, man. Like if you try it out for one time, you know, and if it's not your thing, you tried it. But you know, you can't knock it until you try it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I and I also uh, say as well. Um, um, lighting candles when I just when I'm just chilling, just just light candles like because yeah. the, the scents and it's just more like and also drinking herbal teas that help with relaxation as well. So I those are a few of the coping mechanisms that that I had and and I think and I feel like they all help me out. So man, so, I'm candles, bro. <laughs> I got yeah. some of them candles in my room. Like what's some candles called from um. Uh, Every time they sell those candles, is it bad? Is it bad? Bad Bath and Beyond or Bath I and Body Works? It's a dang. What's the candle place that used to be? I think it's still in the mall. They go on sale and they be sold out within like <laughs> they be sold out like a pair of Jordans. Like I got some of those. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, but yeah, this, this gonna lead me to my last question, man. And you know. I've been kind. Of, I've been following you on social media, on Clubhouse, and all that stuff. And you're doing a great job with advocating uh, for mental health, especially in the black community, and with and with the black men, especially. Because I feel like I feel like the black women. I feel like they're going at a at a at a way better pace than the black men. Black men are still kind of skeptical. They still yeah. like, uh, you know, I don't I don't know. Should I be talking to a stranger? It reminds me of. Uh, of uh watching the sopranos which i watched during the pandemic and tony was like i don't like this therapy you know he was always <laughs> like in and out he go he'll go faithfully and then he'll he'll storm out of there cuss her out and say you know i'm done with this therapy. <laughs> <laughs> and i feel like you know we we as black men we kind of wrestling with the thought but i i feel like we turning the page so so um this leads me to my question you know I feel like a lot of black men, they say that they would try it out, but they don't know if they can find the right person for them. Could you mm-hmm. give, could you give us, I would say insight on how would we know if that's the right person for us? I know we got to know for us, but you can give us some tips on what to actually look for in a therapist that, that would find that, that would work perfectly with us. Okay. So, yeah, I agree. I definitely agree with you about um, the black men and black women. Um, and for one thing, man, black women talk. You know, that's one thing black women are going to do. They're going to talk. You know, they're going to yeah. talk to their friends. You know, um, they're going to talk to their family because w- women like to talk. But as men, you know, that's something we don't do a lot of. We don't talk even with our friends and stuff. We don't talk uh, enough to our friends. And so, you know, women, women don't they don't mind sharing their emotions. They don't mind verbalizing their emotions like, you know. Even when you're in a relationship with somebody, a woman is going to tell you how they feel regardless, um, whether you like it or whether you don't like it. They still going to tell you how they feel and they don't mind doing it. And so 
um, when it comes to you know actually trying to find somebody to actually provide therapy for you, one thing that I first have to make sure I say is therapy. I always say therapy is like trying on a new pair of shoes, or or like trying out a new type of car. You may not like that first car you try out, or that first pair of J's you try on may not fit perfect, but don't give up just because that first pair of J's didn't work for you or that, that first car you tried to drive in test drive, it didn't work for you. You know, it just may not have been your shoe or it just may not have been your car. And I feel like a lot of times what happens is, bro, um, we go for one time and we're like, man, I ain't like that therapist. And so I ain't going back because they, they overgeneralize that all therapists like that. But that's just not the case. That just that therapist just wasn't the right one for you. And so when it comes to how do you know that the therapist is the person for you, you first want somebody that is culturally competent mm-hmm. and, you know, being culturally competent, that's being, that's basically being culturally aware. You know, that person needs to know about your culture. They don't have to be a person that has lived in your culture, but they need to know things about your culture um, where you can actually have those conversations with them about. And so you want to look for somebody that's, that's culturally competent. Now I want to make sure I say also that I'll, you know, all our skin folk ain't kin folk. So yeah. just because just because we black, that mean they mean we, we may not think the same way, or we may not do the same thing. So and we we still may not be culturally aware. We have sure. black people that's not culturally aware, that's culturally incompetent. And so even therapists. And so you have to make sure that that person is culturally competent. It's kind of like an interview or you know how people go on speed dating and you know they ask these like first five, six questions. For about a minute or so. Yeah. And then they're like, yeah, I'm going to work out and go to the next person. That's kind of what it is with therapy. Um, another thing I tell people is that when it comes to therapy, um, you need to let that person know and be real and honest about what you're dealing with. So if you're grieving because um, you lost someone or if you got laid off a job and you're feeling depressed or, you know, you're dealing with panic attacks or um, you're afraid to go around big crowds because, you know, you have social anxiety. Like these are all things you got to let that therapist know because, you know, there are different therapists that deal with different theoretical modalities. So you have some people that deal with that are specializing like cognitive behavior therapy, which is like where you're looking at your thought process and how it guides your behavior. You got some people that specialize in like cognitive therapy, which is just um, looking at your mind. You have, um, so many different type of therapies out there, but you don't know exactly what type of therapy a person actually specializes in until you actually start talking to them about the problems that you have to see if they can actually assist you. And so making sure that person is culturally aware, also making sure that person understands what you're going through, um, making sure that type of person actually can provide the type of therapy you need from them based off of the type of theoretical modalities that they actually practice. I think these are all great starter questions to when a person is looking for a therapist to try to talk about. Yeah, this, I think that's definitely important. I think when, when I went, I wanted to actually, I wanted my therapist to actually be a black woman. So, because, because I felt like I needed better understanding of black women. So, that's that's why I went to mm-hmm. a black woman, and I think you know it worked out for me well. Um, also, I wanted to ask. There, a lot of people say therapy is expensive or whatever. So, um, I know when I went, 
um, I had to pay out of pocket until my I was starting a new job, so until my insurance kicked in. And it was yeah. it was expensive, you know. Uh, you know, luckily, you know, I was just making enough money to just pay for it. But you know, it was it was expensive, and a lot of people wouldn't be able to afford it. Could you give us some like some sources where we could where people could seek out like affordable or even free mental health help? Yeah, I can. So it's going to be some places where it's kind of affordable. Like you said, therapy is expensive in general, um, especially if you have to go for therapy for you, know, you have some people that go here and there. They may go a couple of times a month. Then you have some people that are really dealing with a lot of traumatic things where they have to go every single week. So just imagine somebody going every single week for therapy. That's a that's a bill. So a couple of websites that a person can look at on first website is Open Path Collective. That is openpathcollective.org. And so it's a site that's kind of, it's more affordable where you can kind of go on there and you may find therapists for like maybe $30 a session mm. or, you know, cheap therapy for, for us. So that's openpathcollective.org. Another one that people don't probably don't even know about is Taraji P. Henson. We all know the actress Taraji P. Henson. Uh, you know, she actually have a she has a mental health site for therapy and it was kind of in honor of her dad. Her dad, he was a military veteran and he suffered from PTSD. And so she decided to come up with a a website and it's specifically for African-Americans. And that's Boris, B-O-R-I-S-L Henson, H-E-N-S-O-N, her last name, foundation.org. So once again, that's Boris L. Henson Foundation.org. Now, I know at one point in time, I think during the pandemic, they were offering like free services. But I don't I don't know for sure if they're offering free services now, but I do know that they're offering it at a reduced rate. Cause like I said, it's it's for African Americans. And then she made the site because a lot of African Americans weren't able to afford therapy or didn't know how to find therapy. You know, of course, you got your ones such as therapy for black men and therapy for black girls. Now, on those type of sites, you may get on those sites and find a therapist that may cost a little bit more. But what I will tell you is that there are so many different therapists on there. What I tell people is when you call these people, because you, you can get their numbers, you can see if they take any type of insurance, if they if they take any type of discounts. But when you call them, I'll tell the person, let you let them know about your situation and your financial situation. And if a lot of times if they can't help you, if they can't do therapy for you, they can point you in the right direction of a colleague that can maybe provide therapy for you at a reduced rate. Another thing what a lot of people don't realize is, you know, and not all jobs do it, but you know, some jobs have employee assistance programs. And so that's those EA, um, EPA for EAP programs. Mm -hmm. And so, a lot of times those EAP programs, employee assistance program, they offer roughly about five to eight sessions for free. But if you have a job that has those services, you know, you can always take those services under your wing and actually go to them. And that's kind of like some free therapy for you. But it just depends on the job. Sometimes people have a hard enough time finding jobs that actually offer those EAP services. And, and, I, and when it comes to those EAP services, they're okay. Sometimes they're less than ideal, but hey, if you don't have any other option, you know, you may have to kind of go there until you can find it. 
Now, something that I would tell people that's in school, especially if you go like to college and stuff, are counseling services. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like, I'm going to be real. Back when I was like in high school, you know, when I thought of a counselor, I thought of somebody like a guidance counselor. Like, you know, they're going to teach me um, how to apply for college or they're going to give me my transcripts or help me with my resume. Because, um, you know, that's basically what guidance counselors did back in high school. But I didn't know that there was actually counselors in schools that actually deal with mental health stuff. And especially now a day, every school, I believe, has some type of behavioral interventionist or mm-hmm. some type of therapist in school. So if you go to college, I would recommend people go to their go to their um, counseling centers. You already paying for the services. You know, yeah. if you paying for tuition, that tuition includes those therapy services. So mm-hmm. you either going to lose it or use it. So if it's there to be used, why not go and use it? And I got to tell people, you know, a lot of times people think that they go to therapy when things are going bad. Oh, I need to go see a therapist because I just lost my job or I just got laid off. Those are, yeah, those are great reasons to go see a therapist. Go see a therapist because of those too. But you can also go see a therapist when life is going well. You know, it's like the old saying go, you know, you know, you pray when things are going bad. You pray when things are going bad. Go to therapy when things are going bad. Go to therapy when things are going good. Because what you will start realizing is if you continue to go to therapy when things are going good, when things do get bad, you will have developed a lot of those coping skills because you've been you know, constantly going to therapy. And then, you know, you don't have to go to therapy every month. You can skip some months if you're doing so good, but still go to therapy because at the end of the day, you know, therapy is what you put in it. And if you put a lot into it, you'll get a lot out of it. Hey, that's dope, man. And I, and, and I really appreciate you sharing all those sources because a lot of people don't really know where to go for that, you know. And, and I think that's very important for Cause I think a lot of people would actually go to it if they knew where to go. And it's yeah. important people that people that look like us is sharing this type of information because just, just like everything representation is a very big deal. And representation is how you inspire people to do um, things that can be positive in their life. So it matters. I, definitely, definitely black representation matters. And, and, your black mental black mental health matters and so we gonna shut this episode down i've been really appreciative to have you on to spit your knowledge and to kind of kind of just you know pick your brain a little bit about mental health and um you can you can go ahead and link your instagram in and your and your podcast oh so yeah just just show your instagram uh handle and your twitter handle and all that Okay, let me make this last point too, and it's specifically for our black men because I need to say it because, like you said okay. in the beginning, we were talking about the question. Um, you know, we don't want to go to therapy, or it's something we don't want to do. I need to let black men, and this is why I, why I do what I do. This is me as a black man, you know, talking to another black man because I want people to see that hey, if I can do it, you know, you can come to talk to me. I'm a black man, but one thing about therapy is therapy is not a one time fix. You know, it's like, you know, if you scrape your knee, you put a Band-Aid over it and then, OK, everything going to be OK. When it comes to therapy, it's not a one time fix. You have to keep going to therapy to get the benefits out of therapy. Mm-hmm. You were talking about the Sopranos and how, you know, he would go to therapy and, you know, oh, he was OK. Then he would kind of fall off. Yeah. You're not getting nowhere like that. You know, you, you're not. And so you have to know that if you're going to do therapy, 
you got to give it your all. So don't go one time. Don't go two times. Keep going. It's going to feel uncomfortable at first. And that's the thing. That's the way. That's the reason, you know, it's working. If you're feeling uncomfortable, you know, you know, it's working because you got to think about it. You know, a lot of things you've been holding in for years and now you're finally talking to somebody and getting the chance to actually open it up. It's going to start feeling a little bit uncomfortable, but that's how you know that it's working. So when it's working, just know that it's not a simple process. You know, progress doesn't occur overnight. It's like they say, you know, wrong wasn't built overnight. And so keep going to therapy, give it a try. And I promise you, you know, you'll come out better than you, you went in there. So a couple of my, my handles, they all the same thing. Um, it's, <laughs> it's frozen. It's frozen dot triumph. So that's P H R O Z E N underscore triumph. T-R-I-U-M-P-H. And that's, <laughs> that's my line name. I'm a, I'm an alpha. And so alpha five alpha. So you can follow me on Instagram at frozen triumph. You can follow me on Twitter at frozen triumph. I'm on clubhouse. It's, it's Jaron J-A-R-O-N Brown. One thing you mentioned clubhouse earlier, I got that black man and mental health club on there. I haven't been as, I'm gonna be just transparent. I haven't been as active as I was at first. I'm trying to get back into it, man. I had to, I had to plug, step away from Clubhouse for a while. It's it's emotionally draining sometimes, bro. Yeah, um, I have to take a step <laughs> away, man. I'm trying to get back into it, and I need to get back into it because we were doing a lot of good things with mental health on there, and I I need to have those conversations with people about mental health. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can find me at those places. So yeah, Frozen Triumph at Instagram, Frozen Triumph at Twitter. Like I said, I'm on Clubhouse. I'll be coming out with a mental health blog soon. Um, be looking forward. Uh, you know, it's going to be some good stuff. We're going to talk about mental health and what's going on in the community and stuff like that. So I'm definitely looking forward to that. Um, but, but Nick, man, I appreciate you, bro, man. I thank you for having me on your podcast. If you ever want to have me on again, just to talk about mental health or about something particular in the mental health field, please don't hesitate to do so, man. Oh, yeah. Hey, definitely blessed to have you on, man. Shout out to Jerron Brown, man. He's doing a lot of great things. And and I'm definitely looking forward to the blog. I definitely be be taking a look at it and, and learning from that as well. So, you know, we're going to shut this episode down. You know, everybody be safe out there and subscribe to the Verbal Intercourse podcast and peace out. I be too busy doing me, so I hope you're doing you and I be doing nothing. This is Verbal Intercourse.